we're dedicating a shout out to our mates at Calm. That's the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. It's tragic that suicide is the single biggest killer of men under the age of 45. But it's also avoidable. So if you're having a rough time, Calm's helpline and web chat are open 5 till midnight every single day. Find them at thecalmzone.net or you can call them from 5pm until midnight, 365 days of the year on 0800 58 58 58. And welcome to the New Age Boxing Podcast. With me, Andy White, and we're a man down this week, but that shouldn't really matter because the personality in the room is enough to fill any void. We'll call this the Bill Withers Podcast. With Mr. Terry Chapandama. Ah, just the two of us. Just the two of us. Ooh. Ooh. Did, you, did you sing that yesterday? Did you sing it that badly? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, that... Granted, that would have that was a poor rendition. <laughs> Not my style of music, if I'm honest. Well, you have to get ready for Thursday, though. Oh yeah, yeah. That's when you're singing that whole song on Thursday. That particular song. I think so. No, no. <laughs> I think the audience demand it. We should touch on that. Listen, front load it now. Live show on Thursday. Bring your friends. You might need the shoulder to cry on. Right? <laughs> it's it's going to be a very honest show. I think sometimes on a podcast, you'll hold back because <laughs> there's a permanence to it. What? You, yeah. you will hold back? <laughs> there's a permanence to a podcast where if you ever think... there was an advertisement for a live show, it's Terry saying that he holds back and that he's not going to hold back at the live show. <laughs> well, I think we said, it, we said it at the end of last year. The live show is a chance for, for people to get the non-Johnny Nelson answer. So... Let's let's try and remove as much of the company BS as possible. Um, rule number one, do not tweet what we said and then attach our names to it. What do they call it? Chatham House rules, right? You can say what was said, but you can't say who said it. I don't know. Is that a thing? Yeah. Chatham House, Chatham Chatham House, House rules. rules. Yeah. A I, rule or principle according to which information disclosed during a meeting may be reported by those present but the source of that information may not be explicitly or implicitly identified. There you yeah. go. So, so you've got to have that where, because that, that means that we can all be brutally honest in the room and we can, if it comes out, it comes out, but our name's unattached to it. So I think that makes it a more interesting and immersive experience. And <clears throat> you don't get that anywhere else. Let's not forget that. So yeah, bring a friend, bring some popcorn. <clears throat> you know, you might just need it. <laughs> Cornflakes? Uh, banned. Anyone that consumes them without milk, banned. Uh, <laughs> okay, so we've got a fair bit to get through today. Um, bizarrely, with Martin away, 
We've received some questions from one Tartin Mirbold, which is always odd. They, they, they're never in this, on the same pod at the same time. It's always really strange that he never buys tickets to the live show. No, he doesn't either, does he? That's yeah. something I, I'd, like to, I'd like to get Porky Rust to investigate who this Tartin Mirbold really is. <laughs> um, do you want to speak about Gassiev and Usyk now? Or do you want to warm up? I don't know. I think the streets might want to know about <laughs> me and Ramez Mahmood last night on okay. Twitter. That that means nothing to me, as because, you're because, probably aware anyway. But nah, nah, I'll keep it simple. So basically, after the Gassia fight, and I don't even think it I don't know who it was. It might have been me. You know, I, I say a lot of things on Twitter, most of which I regret. But essentially, I just said, you know what I mean? It didn't feel right to me. The level of energy he had at the end of the fight and his punch output made me feel slightly suspicious. Uh, Ramiz Mahmood was like, it's a gift from God and all this sort of stuff. We went back and forth on Twitter. And <clears throat> it's a reminder of how boxers that are labeled as intelligent are sometimes quite brainless. You know, golden rule number one, if you don't know shit about what you're talking about, just pipe down, you know? So it was, it was, a, it was, a, it was, it was a brief... <laughs> I would have laughed... Don't Initially, choke. But my mouth was full of drink. Ah. <laughs> no, so, so, you know, some people have said it was a bit savage what I did to him. I, you know, I, I dropped a bit of, you know, dropped the ether napalm bomb on him and just let him know, look, when it comes to this doping and dirty sports shit, man, like, I've been doing this for long enough. Don't, it's something you probably can't challenge me on. But, you know, he learned his lesson. Hopefully he buys a ticket to the live show on Thursday. You know, we can talk about how great life is. Hold on, Andy, quick question. Is it just the fan spinning around also stool spinning around as well? Because that's confusing as fuck. Oh, is it? It's just the fan, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. There's a, there's a base plate and it's spinning on that base plate. Ah, nice. Hmm. Normally Martin would sit there. I feel the fan's contributing a lot considering <laughs> the absence. <laughs> I should have got a microphone out for him, shouldn't I? <laughs> nah, 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 nah. He just starts slagging off StubHub. Fan will just be there blowing hot air and shit. <laughs> right, so I'm looking. I'm just looking at these uh, Mahmoud Rames, Rames Mahmoud. Yeah, looking at his tweets. And <laughs> I can't believe we're doing this live on the podcast. <laughs> this is this is an interesting one. I'm going to have to just take two minutes to di- digest this. <laughs> right, so I paused the pod there, and uh, I just had to read that Twitter, uh, Twitter exchange, and that's definitely worth looking up. I, the exchange between. The two guys, um, and uh, actually, I only, I only read a part of it. I've just stumbled across some more, but <laughs> essentially, it's um, it's to do with um, a little spoken of subject on this podcast. Actually, PEDs. Nah, look, um, look. This is what I'll say. Whenever I watch a boxing bout, I expect you to drop off in the last four rounds. I, Andre Ward, one of the best to ever do it, and you could see Andre Ward in certain fights just tailing off. You know, he would. It just wouldn't be the same as he was in the first four rounds and it's to be accepted. I know, as bad as Gassiev was, let's bear in mind, and we'll talk about the fight in detail in a second, but bear in mind, Gassiev was in front of Usyk for the whole fight. He wasn't taking backward steps. So, as good as Usyk looked, he's still having to work every second of every round. So, that should take something out of the tank. It didn't seem to take a thing out of the tank, which is what drew my suspicion. That's not to say he is doping. He's just um, a well-trained master of his craft, right? 
He's put a lot of time and effort into it over the years, and and uh, therefore he's just got a je ne sais quoi. <laughs> yeah, you can't try and Ramez Mahmood me, man. Like you know, <laughs> listen. Like once I assassinate someone, you know, I got to chill for a bit before I assassinate <laughs> someone else. Just <laughs> him, and I think Southpaw Jab tried to chime in as well. Like, yeah, I ran a marathon. Therefore, if I could run a marathon, Usyk can box for twelve rounds. Fuck's sake, it's man! Di- it's difficult because I mean, you look at. I think it was you that might have said this. Um, but if you look at all of the record hundred meter distances. Well, the 100 meter records that have been broken over the last 10 years, every single one of those people that's broken that record has been subsequently done for doping, aside from Usain Bolt. Yeah. I th- <laughs> top, th- top 30 hundred meter times oh, of 30. all time. The only ones we can say are cleaner bolts. And, I, and, I, and that just, uh, I mean, find that sad i find that really and i and i hope and i hope to god that you're saying but okay. clean but so, so so here's here's something that ramez mahmood was talking about like and this is this is this is why some people some people just shouldn't be allowed out of their house right <laughs> they shouldn't be allowed out of their house because they're clearly so stupid that do you know what <laughs> I mean they'll just walk into lampposts now go back to when michael johnson broke the 400 meter world record oh yeah do you remember what... Clean as a whistle, Michael Johnson. Yeah. Do you remember what they said at the time? Michael Johnson is so fast because he takes so many strides. And what that means is his contact time with the ground is greater than anybody else's. I, that, yeah, I do remember that. That yeah. was their theory. He was taking more strides than everyone else, which meant he was able to generate more energy and overcome more wind resistance doing that. That made him faster. Now they're telling us Usain Bolt is so fast because he takes so few strides <laughs> and his strides are so big that no one can keep up with him. And I'm, I'm not, no, no, no. I remember what you said about Michael Johnson. You said he was fast because he had a lot of contact time. Now, if Bolt's taking less steps, you're telling me he's generating more force per stride. Not at the height and weight that he the is. I would find that hard to believe. The difficult thing is when, when you personally, when you sort of... Um, are fronted with these with this topic what is the definition in your mind of someone who is let's just say purpose of the conversation taking something in inverted commas what would be what would be your definition of someone taking something would it be those people who are taking things that are illegal in the sport or would they be people that are taking things that are not yet illegal? Do you know what I mean? Like, if you went back now and looked to what Michael Johnson was taking, if he was taking something, in the event that he was taking something, he might have been taking something that was, like, he might have been taking um, EPO or something like that. But at the time, it wasn't banned. So looking back retrospectively, you'd think, oh, that's low. But... At the time, it was legal in, in the sport. So let's say, going coming back to Alexander Usyk, if the Russians have found, you know, um, uh, some testosterone strain that's two, that's two chemical points away from whatever it is that's banned, and so he can get put through drug tests doing it. Now, clearly, this is a fucking scattergun approach, and I don't really know what I'm talking about. But if they you, you know what happens in these situations, don't but, you? But let, let's just say they've found things they can take that don't 
pop up in drug tests and are technically illegal, uh, technically legal because they're not illegal. Is that, is that, is that, <laughs> I suppose, is that ethically wrong? Is so, it take? Is it making the most of the sport that you can make? Let, you know? let, let's unpick it. So what happens is, I'm a coach. I coach Andy White, right? I'm Good reading luck. every scientific journal. I want to know what people are researching, what they found out. The minute I find out that there's a compound these guys are testing that has added 60% muscle mass to a mouse, I'm finding it. <laughs> I'm finding it before WADA, VADA, USADA, UCAD, RUSADA, FRASADA, whatever. I'm finding it before they do, and I'm, I'm going to give it to my guys as a research chemical. Right? They did it with, I think it's called GW1516. And essentially, cyclists use this because it's, it's meant to boost stamina. Like you just take it and suddenly your stamina is amazing. And then the, the anti-doping authorities caught hold of this. Uh, Testolone's another one as well. Where they, they're finding these research chemicals that aren't actually approved for human use yet, but are being used by athletes. So GW1516, massive in CrossFit massive uh testosterone massive in crossfit mk2677 massive in crossfit massive in football all these things are huge now and mk2677 if i've got it right is now coming into boxing testosterone is now coming into boxing because people say well i'm not taking steroids if i'm taking this it's like it's a dangerous game you're playing so you've got that now if you're saying is it legal Absolutely, because you contravene no rules. But does it go against the spirit of the whole thing? Yes. And here's where the tension comes. Now, I want to talk about the boxing fight in more detail in a second. But I want to just frame this discussion like this. Fans don't really care if guys dope or not. It's just a reason to throw rocks at them. When you say Bolt ran 9.58, everybody lost their shit. That was in 2009, wasn't it? Uh, I don't know. That might be one of the longest standing world records you're going to find in a sprint. Because that's when I got suspicious of Bolt. Because a six foot five guy, as wide as he is, running 9.58, defies everything. Everything you're ever told, go back to the Michael Johnson thing, everything you're ever told, short, powerful guys taking loads of strides is what win, wins races. Carl Lewis always suspected a doping. He was six foot two, defied all the logic. Linford Christie, six foot two and like 300 kilos, defied all the logic. And it wasn't a surprise that Linford popped for drugs. Even when he wasn't bloody running, he popped for drugs. Because the theory has always been the little guys are the faster guys. In the women's races, it's the smaller women who run faster. So all of this added up makes you think 958 from 2009 a guy. 2009 it was, yeah. yeah. 958 from a guy like that Triggers all kinds of responses. Not as bad as when Wade Van Niekerk ran 43.03. Michael Johnson running 43.19 was a dirty run. And he'd even admit that, I reckon, in a quiet moment. But <laughs> Wade Van Niekerk ran 43.03. Slowing up and in lane number eight. It is virtually impossible to win a 400 meter race from lane number eight. Like, go and find winners from lane number eight. Like, it's like probably 1% or less of people who do that. So when you run 43.03... Did he, he get popped? No, but he made the fatal mistake 
So I call it the slowing down principle. When you're hot, like some of these athletes are, even if you know you can run 43 or 40 under 43 seconds, don't run it in a championship because everyone's watching and everyone gets suspicious. What Van Niekerk should have done was run 43-10, It just slowed up right at the end. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's quite specific to be... Yeah, well, you want to break the world record, put a bit of a gap so no one's going to come after you. <laughs> but when you run 43-03 and you're like, Michael Johnson, who people say was perfectly designed for this race, didn't come close to that. How the hell have you? You're being trained by your fucking grandmother. I mean, all right, so you look at the spirit of things. Let's just say, right, tomorrow they discover an animal in the deepest, deepest, darkest Peru, right? Not Paddington Bear. Um, but they find an animal that when people eat... Gallagher shag it. When if, they, <laughs> if they eat this animal, it has... It's a natural boost for, like, let's... It, it simulates taking EPO taking testosterone, taking all that sort of thing. Let's just say that. So it was a... Na- would it Would it be against the spirit of things for you to eat that meat? But and it's then- nut- so number one, it's nutrition. Number two, it's available to all, right? So now I don't have an issue with it. But when you've got scientists in labs, um, you know, right. leading biochemical institutions somewhere in South Yorkshire, for example, and all <laughs> of a sudden a sporting facility springs up not that far away. Because right, then it becomes like Formula One, doesn't it? Yeah, it becomes, look, you're, you're doing research into human performance at your university. We have humans performing here. Why don't you come and try some stuff on our guys? That, right. That, yeah, that's, yeah, that's when you start to ask questions. When it becomes a conspiracy, and this is what I mean, like when people talk about doping and they assume it's an athlete sat at home with some fucking Holland and Barrett tablets popping two a day. It's not. It's a massive structure, an artifact. I mean, it's a massive edifice if, you need. If you still haven't watched Icarus yet, please go and watch that. Because if you're in any doubt, I know, like, I know it's, I know it's hard to swallow. And I think some people have got the whole, um, I mean, I, <clears throat> I knew lads in the army. <laughs> it was like, you'd say, have you been to the STD clinic? And they're like, Pfft. No, I'm worried what I might hear. And you're like, <laughs> and it's that, it's that, you know, that idea of I don't want to know in case it's the in case it is true. And I think some people almost like I I don't I don't want to hear that my, my or all sport is crooked. You know, you look at the state of cycling now. Anytime someone wins a race, you're like, what's he been taking? Yep. And 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 it it, it ruins the sport. It, you know, it does. And so that, but when you look at that Icarus, you, you recognize the levels with which people will go to, to influence or use sport and its stage to influence people in a way like that, that they want to. Like the whole, the whole Russian athlete thing is all to do with uh, seemingly Putin's grand scheme to try and, uh, sh- get Russia seen in a better light yeah. by having, you know, positive reflection on Russia. It's a soft display of Russian strength. Yeah, and so it's it's a, it's a perfect battleground of soft power. And so I, I understand that people don't want to hear it, but when you see the lengths with which they'll go to in order to trick the system, it's mind-boggling. It's also pretty impressive, to be fair. I mean... 
Yeah, you got to really know your shit. Like, how the hell do you realize you can break into those fucking urine bottles after they're sealed? Yeah. Like, wow. So yeah, I mean, look, it's, I could sit here and explain it to you, but yeah, you know, I would implore you to go and watch it because, but, at the very least, it's very but, fascinating. But but in summary, I'd be surprised if more than ten percent of world title holders were clean, three hundred sixty-five days a year. I'd be completely surprised. Uh, even guys like Mayweather, and there have been allegations that Mayweather failed three drugs tests around 2012, and it was hushed up. It's why he paid Pacquiao the money, because Pacquiao, in his lawsuit, had requested those USADA reports, and apparently Floyd had failed for a number of substances. But these are allegations, so I don't really know. What I do know is, after that, Mayweather became smart. So what Mayweather would do We've talked about the three fours. Control the first four, dominate the second four, coast the final four. Why? Because you'd see him and he'd look like he was struggling in the final rounds and you're like, oh my God, Mayweather might be tired. Now you're not thinking he's doping. If he had just put the hammer down in the final rounds and taken people out, like Pacquiao used to do. Remember Pacquiao, you, he was stopping guys in the 10th, 11th and 12th round. He stopped Cotter in the 12th round. That's when we started to go, I think this guy's on something. So... In closing about this whole doping thing, it's a lot more prevalent than you think it is. But Unless you're Terry, in which case it's probably not as bad as you think. But you guys also need to be honest with yourselves as fans. You want to see the freaks. You want to see Joshua six foot six and 17 and a half stone ripped. With a stomach you could grate cheese on. Yeah, you, you want to see that. So if you if that's what you want to see and you want to see these remarkable feats of strength and you want to see six foot five men run the hundred meters in under nine point five seconds, because apparently bolts run nine forty seven in training before. Just putting it out there. If this is what you want to see, then just let them dope. And when they get caught doping, don't shit on them. Like when people were shitting on Tony Yoka because Yoka got suspended in France for missing tests, not for failing, for missing tests. But you look at Yoka, you're like, he doesn't even look like he's doping. But when you when you miss three tests, it's not an accident. Okay, to somewhat bring ourselves out of this, because I appreciate that some people this isn't, we've just dedicated 20 minutes to it. It's some people, it's not that fascinating. So hopefully we haven't lost you. Um, We'll, we'll come away from this topic. But the reason we got here in the first place was Usyk Gassiev. So let's just close out on that fight then. How bad was Gassiev? And, and I want to give Usyk credit for a great performance. But Gassiev did absolutely nothing. And, and this is the reminder to everyone why the amateur experience is so important. The more you see in a boxing ring away from the cameras, away from the prying eyes, away from your future opponents, the more you see in that boxing ring, the better prepared you are for nights like this. If you look at Alexander Usk, all through like fight week, he's been a very, very calm man. This is nothing for him. He's an Olympic gold medalist. So this sort of hubbub is nothing. When you're watching Gassiev, you, saw, you almost saw Gassiev retreat into his shell on a daily basis. And it was reflected in the fight because... You look at Abel Sanchez fighters, even from the past, like the like Terry and Orlin Norris, they were always high-activity fighters. Um, before Abel Sanchez became somewhat of a racist, 
you know, he always liked the idea of young black boxers who are athletic and quite aggressive, uh, which is why Terry Norris was disqualified, God knows how many times, for just being overzealous. But in Golovkin, he found an Eastern European and he thought he found his formula of turning Eastern Europeans into Mexican-type fighters. That's what he was trying to do. Take their technical now, their technical expertise, and marry it with that kind of Mexican machismo, lots of hooks to the body, lots of combinations, basically creating a production line of Golovkins. And that's how Gassiev was being sold to us, another Golovkin. He's nothing like Golovkin. Golovkin was a perfectly formed amateur and... He was a he was a rough diamond that needed sharpening. Gassiev is clearly just at best cubic zirconia, at worst maybe a lump of coal, <laughs> because he did nothing. You, sorry to derail you slightly, but I noticed one of your tweets yesterday was, if anyone's in doubt of the value of an amateur background, um, I'm assuming that Usyk has an extent... I mean, obviously, he's won the gold medal, but he's got an extensive amateur background by comparison. Hundreds. Gas has got 24 amateur bouts. Like, 24. Linus Adolfia has more amateur bouts than Gassiev does. So, what does it give you? Experience. So, just, just look at it differently, right? The more punches you see in boxing, the better able you are to understand what's going on, Right it's just classic experience curve. Right, the okay. more you do something, the better you get at it. So if you start boxing when you're a kid, by the time you're an adult, not many people would have done as many rounds as you. Not many people would have thrown as many punches as you. The age you do it at is irrelevant because you're being matched against people of similar ability as you go up. So after, let's say you've had 150 amateur bouts. If a guy over there has had 15, he can't have seen everything you've seen. You, you know, 150 bouts, you've probably tried everything that's possible in a boxing ring. So you are 100% confident in what works and what doesn't work in your arsenal. And you can revert back to... Ver- it's, it's Look at it like this. You're a golfer. Alexander Usk was a guy that had 14 clubs in his bag. Gassiev had a three wood. Not even, a, not even like a driver. He had a three <laughs> wood. You know, remember Microsoft Golf? Like you use that three wood when you needed to hit something 150 yards, but you were just really shit at the game, right? And that's what Gassiev was. Gassiev... Microsoft Golf. I remember that? It. Remember that? You had to click on the mouse and then release it. <laughs> Get the timing right. But Gassiev was just basically a three wood piece of shit last night. It was, em- it was just embarrassing to watch him. It was embarrassing to watch Abel Sanchez. And if Ingram Jones is listening to this, next time you interview Abel Sanchez... Ask him, why was he so ineffective in the corner? It was, it was one of the early rounds, and he was shouting at Gassiev. Number one, in a corner, you should never shout at your fighter. <laughs> it was your training camp. You're accountable for the man that walks out into that ring. Number two, fighters don't respond to being shouted at. Like, it's a handful of people who respond to being shouted at or slapped or anything like that, despite what they tell you in the Rocky films. <clears throat> So Abel Sanchez got everything wrong. It genuinely looked like he'd never seen Alexander Usk box before. So um, we haven't actually said this at this point, but what was the result? How did it, how did it end? I was absolutely dominant. I might get these scorecards wrong because I wasn't really paying attention after this. I'm guessing it was like 120, 109, 119, 110, and maybe 
119, 108, something. It was something. It was, it was, it was a landslide. It was, it was not a competitive fight at all. Us- Usyk absorbed very little damage. Gassiev didn't have a clue. I've never seen an elite level boxer unable to cut off the ring so comprehensively. And before, before, before Twitterland starts saying it was down to Usyk's foot movement, no, it wasn't. All Usyk did came in with came in behind his jab, stepped back off that jab, let Gassiev react to that, then came back with a second phase attack, and then we just step off to the right. He just kept walking to the right. It's it was boxing 101. That was the thing that upset me. It was boxing 101. Usyk said, I'm gonna control channel one, interpret that as the distance between your shoulders. I'm just gonna control that, and I'm gonna let Gassiev swing his wild shots from the side and I'll keep stepping back. In times to come, and Andy, I know you have a view on this. In times to come... I can't find the scorecard, by the way. I'm trying to look for it. We'll but. live. But in times to come, we will look at Alexander Usk as the man who carried his amateur style almost perfectly into the pro ranks and dominated. Because it was amateur boxing 101. You could have seen that at an Islington show and gone, that's just solid boxing. No no bells and whistles. The best punches were the straight punches, the uppercuts. That was it. The hooks weren't really doing much, and the jab was consistent. Kept his right hand over Gassiev's left hand. Gassiev was just there, confused. And at the time, he needed Abel Sanchez to give him a plan B. It seemed Abel Sanchez didn't even have a plan A. So after the fight, Usyk calls out Bellew. <laughs> Um, but quite rightly because didn't Bell you say I'm looking at the winner of the World Boxing Super yeah, Series yeah I mean I suppose he did yeah and and you kind of expected it to be the other way around if anything I suppose Bell you didn't say it's time for me to fight Alexander Usk well no because this fight will be the first time Bell you is the A side where Bell you has to carry the fight we've never really seen that before I know people say the Makabu fight, but we didn't know who Makabu was the day before. And we definitely didn't know who Makabu was the day after that fight. You know, no one has seen Makabu since that fight. Like, I genuinely think they found Makabu and Miguel's and they just built up a story around him like they have with Conor Ben. That he had all he was this destructive machine, which he wasn't. But I Bell use a different proposition to Gassiev because Bell you will have a go. What we said before, Bellew's a decorated amateur. Three-time ABA champion, four-time ABA finalist. If I'm wrong on that, forgive me. But he won it at heavyweight twice, went up to super heavyweight, won it at super heavyweight, where he was massively undersized. He might have beaten David Dolan for it. I am not sure. But Tony Bellew is a decorated amateur boxer, a respected amateur boxer, and one of the few amateurs, as he says himself, who was knocking people out. So he can box. So And against Usyk, we're going to find out what he does when there's someone able to punch in combinations, one. Number two, someone who will take his best shot. And number three, someone who's just not going to give up, like Gassiev did after round five, where he knew he was just trying to see it through till the end and he had no interest in trying to mount any kind of offense. What would be your... First of all, what would you be your gut feeling at this point? Could you see... It happening? Is it going to happen soon? Is it going to happen at all? 
I think there's enough hardcores in this country that would love to see that fight. That I, mean, it would, I would. It I mean, would. I mean, not that I'm professing that I'm hardcore. It'd sell out Goodison it. Park. If they time it right, it sells out Goodison Park. I'm confident of that. And it will be a good legacy fight for Bellew. I don't think it hurts his legacy if he loses. Because at least he shows in the sunset of his career, he was willing to take on the best. And you've got to respect that. And that will be his redemption for the nonsense he spoke about David Hay. If he fights Usyk, you will have, we'll respect him for taking that risk, which many others wouldn't. But I think that's the last fight we need to see Usyk fight among the, the small big men. But after that, you want to see him test himself against some of these heavyweights and see what he's really got. Because I don't know if you've seen pictures of him, Andy, but he, he must have the freakiest skeleton ever because he has a massive head, a massive neck, and freakishly large forearms. They're like fucking elephant legs. Like he has these massive forearms. And the great thing about massive forearms is it means you don't lose any energy. Like you're just punching hard. It's the same thing Manny Pacquiao's got where he's just got these massive wrists and massive forearms that just let power flow through. So it'll be interesting to see what he can do at heavyweight when he's able to bulk up a bit more, not having think, to cut weight. Do you think that's what he's going to do? Uh, yeah. There's nothing left to cruise away. Absolutely nothing left. Nothing. Okay. Um, what happens to Gassiev now? Um, I guess I'll just put him in with someone like Marius Bradis, right? The loser was always going to get Bradis. It's an easy fight to make. And you get Gassiev some momentum back. But Jesus Christ, if that's what he's like on the big stage, I don't want to see him again. There's there's no excuse for that. Like, just There's no excuse for being that clueless and that reliant on one-punch power. And when that wasn't working, there was nothing else. So I'm quite happy not to see him again. Okay, then let's move on. And what better way to move on than to move on with a question from Tartin Mirbold. The legendary. <laughs> the legendary Tartin Mirbold. You know, the, the thing I, I always find interesting about Tartin Mirbold is he has no tattoos and absolutely no body hair. <laughs> Strange, I know. <laughs> it makes him sound like a fucking graffiti-ridden gorilla. <laughs> Uh, right okay um Tartin Mirbold asks world boxing super series what is the point of Terry Flanagan um he's a solid British name so they've got Josh Taylor in there but Josh Taylor is not the he's not I mean Terry Flanagan is a more established name Josh is you know if he wins it all which he could do it's a coronation for him Flanagan is just a an anchor if Flanagan upsets anyone, nice little fight with Josh Taylor. So there's an all-British bout there. Interesting to understand why that wasn't someone like a Ricky Burns or a Crawler. <clears throat> Maybe there are other plans for those guys, but <clears throat> good that Frank Warren's got someone in and he's involved in the World Boxing Super Series. So I'm happy with that. But in terms of Flanagan, one of the things I find interesting with Flanagan is his record's not that great. Now, it's not that great. and you then start to look at Frank Warren promoted world champions. Then you go, how many of them actually had a good record? None of them have a good record. None of them at all. 
Calzaghe, record was shocking. Uh, even when Liam Smith was champion, record was shocking. When he had Eubank, record was shocking. Everything. Warren doesn't put his guys in meaningful fights. It's just fights that he can make a bit of a profit on. Give Hearn his due. Hearn will push you into harm's way if you know what I mean. A, if it helps your legacy, B, if it helps his bottom line. So Flanagan's just in there to make up the numbers. 140 is not a great division at the moment. All the good guys seem to have gone up, and the more interesting fights are happening down below. So we kind of got what we got. And this was always going to be the problem with the World Boxing Super Series. With the cruiserweights, you knew at the end of it there's going to be one man with all the belts. I'm not sure if that's true at 140. I'll have to double check. I know there are two mandatories there, but I'm not sure because Taylor's not a he's not a world champion. So I don't think all of the belts are available in the World Boxing Super Series at 140. So there's not that big thing to look forward to. From a British perspective, we're looking forward to seeing Josh Taylor do his thing. Uh, maybe fight Regis Prograin, all this, or maybe Terry Flanagan. How Maurice Hooker's got in there is beyond me. But then I can't say that and say Flanagan deserves to be there. That's the paradox. Both B-level fighters at best. So this draw has already taken place? I mean, they've already yeah. picked so, each uh, other. So on the Friday before the Gassiv Usyk fight, they had the thing that they had last year where all the seeds line up and they get it in turns to pick who they want to fight. Right. Okay. The problem was... There were two mandatories orders. So I think Anthony Yigit's in one of them. Uh, fuck knows. Hooker might be in another one. No idea. But essentially, there were two that were already made. So there's only two people that got to pick. No, that's a bit rubbish, isn't it? And back to the problem with the World Box of Super Series. I think the beginning of the first one was so good. Everything else is a letdown in comparison. You know, We still don't know when the super middleweight final is. The beginning of the first one. It's almost like... It was a good idea until they figured out the complexities involved in the sport of boxing. It, it was, but if you looked at the event yesterday, it it all felt a bit of a letdown. Like, no one's enthusing about the whole event like we were before, where we were evangelical about the production and how good it was. Maybe it's something that just works in Britain and Latvia. I'm not sure. <laughs> okay, um, another question from Tati Mirbold. I've no, you know what? There's a peek behind the curtain for everyone. I have no idea if we have any questions this week because Martin exclusively farms Twitter for any questions. So if you've sent any question this week, then I mean, you can either blame me for not finding them, or you can blame Martin for not forwarding them on to me. I mean, <laughs> frankly, either is probably applicable. Um, yeah, I'm. I I don't. I can't really give you any other reasonable excuse as to uh, the last question I have um, with the hashtag new ABQ was November two thousand and seventeen. Oh no, wait, I've got some ones from May as well. Long and short of it, don't have any relevant ones now. So going on, the only questions I do have from Tati Mirbold. The Dizen launch in America. Why the fuck was Miller there being a dick? And we got told it was all real. Yet it was only Hearn stood between him and AJ. Am I meant to believe that two legit heavyweights couldn't move a promoter aside to have a fight? Um, So this was uh, the... So, right, what... Why? What is the event? So it's in his DAZN unveiling. So so it was like the DAZN launch event. 
in New York. And, and AJ was there with her. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. Right, let's, sorry. Let's, 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 sorry. let's, let's build oh. the narrative. Let's let it marinate. <laughs> so everyone knows the Zone's a new over-the-top streaming platform that will provide live sport to your mobile device. They are, they've launched in other countries, Germany, the United States, not United States, Germany, Canada, and Japan. Other countries as well, but they're kind of their big markets. They will now want to launch in the United States. As you understand, ESPN, CBS, NBC, so forth, have tied up all the big ticket American sports, and they're probably tied up for a good few years. So what's the other sport they can get hold of? Boxing. So they are making a push into the American market in terms of boxing, and DAZN were launching that proposition on Tuesday. Now, it, it was two things. It was number one, it was to launch DAZN. Number two, it was to announce the fighters, Eddie Hearn, has signed, and I use that term advisedly because it doesn't appear that he's signed them in the same way he signs people in the UK. I think he's just agreed to do business with them in the United States, is what it looks like. So just to take Jarrell Miller as an example, Jarrell Miller is co-promoting the events that he's on with Eddie Hearn and his own. So he has his own promotional company, and that's what's contracting with Eddie Hearn without him contracting necessarily. So it's nice and complicated. Just just what boxing needs, more complications. Yeah, exactly. So so you have this event and you have Jesse Vargas announced as a signing, which is massively underwhelming. Jesse Vargas, since since Mayweather stopped talking nicely about him, has just basically just been filler. He's Jesse Vargas is the American Sam Eggington, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> And then I'm trying to think, well, you had Demetrius Andrade, who I don't think has fought for about 10 years. We will remember him in this country for savaging Brian Rose. But to be fair, you know, I think I think like my four-year-old niece could savage Brian Rose. And that's no disrespect to him. He's just not a great boxer. <laughs> I think that is disrespect to him. So, Unless your four-year-old niece is like 17 stone and eight foot so, wide. And, and we're still talking about that Andrade win. Since then, he hasn't done anything with his career. So... We're now struggling to understand how he's earned a shot at Billy Joe Saunders, which, from what we're hearing, is going to go to purse bids. Does not think they'll win the purse bid? But it will be very, very interesting if it does go to purse bids because we'll understand the value that they are putting on each of their shows. Purse bids are a great way of indicating what someone thinks a fight is worth. So let's see what happens with that one because I sense it will go to purse bids. And then... We've talked about who have we talked about? We've talked about Je we've talked about Jerome Miller, we've talked about Jesse Vargas. And then at that point I didn't really give a shit. Yeah, about but what who about the You know, I don't want to well, say no, it because no, no. we're marinating still. No, 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 but... no. So we're not the altercation will come, don't okay, worry. Okay, all right, all right. And then he signed three amateurs. One of them, Nkosi Solomon, is a guy that I know from my time in New York. Reasonably decent amateur, no special effects, big guy, could do with putting on some weight. But you can see him boxing a cruiserweight and then lining him up against like a Lawrence Coley, for example. You know, quite similar in build. Be an interesting fight. But essentially, it was an underwhelming signing or unveiling ceremony because we'd been led to believe Hearn was talking to Errol Spence, the Charlos, Mikey Garcia. So he offered us B-minus talent. And in terms of the amateurs he signed, maybe B-plus, straight B. Nothing special. 
And then what everyone wanted to talk about in terms of that zone thing was you had AJ and Povetkin in New York to announce that their fight will be streamed on DAZN in America. So you understand that the Americans are getting it for the price of $9.99 a month, $9.99 a month. And the first event will be Joshua versus Povetkin. Oh, so, I hope we get to pay 30 quid pay-per-view. That'd be nice. Well, it'll be interesting to see if people work out how to hack zone. Because th- there will be a way, somehow there'll be a way to hack zone, or as we call it, the law of unintended consequences. If you can stream zone to a smart TV, I don't know how the hell they're going to mitigate people streaming it. I, I don't think you can. I, I, you know, it's... It's going to be interesting. I think the first year of that will tell us a lot about where boxing's headed. I don't think streaming platforms work for boxing just because of the greed involved in boxing. You know, if you look at football, yes, there's greed in football, but football delivers a product consistently. These two teams will play each other twice, guaranteed, yeah, every season. It's a structured financial model, isn't it? And we accept that because we want them to play each other. And then we get the bonus that they might meet each other in other competitions, and yeah. we get to watch that too. Whereas in boxing, we're asking for stuff that we should just be given. So yeah. will people want to subscribe for that? I'm not so sure. But back to the, the bit you wanted to know about. <laughs> so, so, so Joshua and Povetkin are doing the photo call. AJ's dressed in his Under Armour apparel and his Beats headphones. Now, it, I don't even think he's listening to anything, if I'm being honest with you. Just, it looked like he just had headphones on because there wasn't anything in his pockets to indicate he had like, even an MP3 player. So photo call in the background Jerome Miller's mouthing off just talking shit and Joshua hears him out of his right ear and you can see Joshua's like do I want to take the pictures and then you can see him getting agitated like here he is talking shit again so Joshua goes to confront him and they get in each other's faces so the thing is they're nose to nose right if it was going to go off that's the moment it goes off how the hell was supposed to believe that it didn't go off and Eddie Hearn manages to insert himself, get both hands in and push them both back. Like, like, like he became He-Man in about 30 <laughs> fucking seconds. Love the reference to He-Man. It was... So So they start talking trash to each other. Joshua does this whole tough talk like he did with Brazil. But he was always doing it while walking backwards. He Not, not once did he go over and actually confront anybody. So all it was was a bit of handbags... It was scripted. And so people assume that both men are in on the act when something's scripted. The best way to script something and make it look real, only tell one person that it's fake. So I I imagine Miller was told what to say and what to do. And they said, listen, he isn't going to hit you. So say what you want, get all up in his face, do anything you need to do to, to get the attention and we'll deal with AJ ourselves. I don't think Joshua knew. I well, think how do they know he wouldn't hit him then? Because hmm? he's how do they know that he wouldn't hit him? Because he's because he's AJ. Well, a because he's AJ, and B it's likely they had event people who were ready for that. Because there were a lot of people around there who could have handled that if it got out of hand. So, so you don't think it was? So you was thinking it was like scripted reality, so to speak. Well, it has to be because otherwise you're not going to get the natural reaction. So, either Joshua knew and Miller didn't, or Miller knew and Joshua didn't. 
but one of them didn't know because it had to be that way for it to be remotely so, believable. I want to take a step back slightly. Can I give you an example? I'll go for it. Go on, sorry. So when Bellew was calling out David Hay, you knew it was scripted because Bellew said SpongeBob SquarePants about four times, right? Even though in his head, he must have known it was Sideshow Bob, but he was told to say SpongeBob SquarePants. So he said it. And you could see David's look like, I think he said the wrong name, but okay, let's go with it. So you could see that that was pretty much, a lot of that was you scripted. Think, you think and, it, you don't just think he was getting it wrong? Nah, nah, it was, it was scripted. That, that was scripted because mm. a, a lot of things happen there that don't happen in, you know, when you're legitimately angry and fired up, it goes a different way. Okay. So, so yeah, I want to take a step back of the AJ Povetkin fight that was mandated within 24 hours and then didn't happen for two weeks. Um, one, did you, did you hear the Barry Hearn interview? Well, I know you did because you tweeted about it. Um, the Barry Hearn interview on the Five Live Boxing. I, I implored you to listen to it, didn't I? Thank you. Actually, thank you, because it was one of the few times I was able to put Barry to the sword. So I actually enjoyed it. <laughs> um, what frustrated me, if you haven't heard that interview, then I suggest you go and listen to it. If, if, if you're driving or doing anything that, that requires any level of concentration, probably... It'll, it'll infuriate you um, and you probably, yeah, don't listen to it. <laughs> don't listen to it if you're praising machinery where you could cut your own hands off. But I found it so frustrating the way that he was talking about it. We're trying to turn AJ into a billion pound uh, fighter, not 100 million, not 50 million, 1 billion. You know, that's what he wants to make out of it. The fight needs to marinate with Wilder and... Um, you know, we're looking at making it in a couple of years. I think it will happen in a couple of years' time. What do you mean you think it will happen in a couple of years' time? That obviously means that Matchroom's Matchroom are intending to, to make it in a couple of years' time. Then you get the um, Povetkin announcement. Then Miller turns up at that fucking press conference, and you're like, right, so now does that mean I'm going to have some shitty beef with Miller to contend with? I've got knobheads on Twitter saying... Oh, it's a, like, I, I had a go at some guy on um, on Twitter the other day, and he was it was Povetkin. He'd he'd come on uh, he'd come on. I said anyone who buys this fight is an idiot. Like I don't like it's 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 a waste of a fight. It's it's not not necessarily because of the fight that it is. It's because of the fight that it isn't, and that's what I find frustrating element about it. Like oh yeah, and then he's, this lad came back and went oh yeah well. Oh yeah, mandated heavyweight bout. Yeah, real idiot if I if I buy this. And I'm like, yes, but it's not the fight you should be wanting to see. If you, I, by no means have I ever told anyone that I'm any sort of authority in boxing knowledge. But the fight that the the most most people would want to see in the heavyweight division of any boxing intelligence would be Wilder versus AJ, and yet we're expected then. Like, if you buy Povetkin, you're telling Matchroom and everyone associated with this fight that it's okay to give you shit fights and not to give you the fights that you want. I find that so deeply frustrating. And then for Miller to turn up at the press conference, all right, so I'm going to watch Povetkin and then I'm going to get force-fed Miller next April. But um, sorry to keep going, but then the Barry Hearn interview, what wound me up was... 
When talking about other fights, like Tyson Fury, for example, he said, I think Tyson Fury will price himself out of the fight. Did you hear that part? He said, yeah. And he said, he'll say something like he wants a 50-50 split and he's the lineal champion or some nonsense like that. And he'll price himself all, out of the fight. All, all, all facts. And I thought to myself... Would that be the biggest problem in the world? That is going to be the biggest UK fight you could possibly hope for. And you're going to be worried over a 50-50 split when no one in their right mind could expect, basically, for Tyson Fury to take anything less than a 40% cut. Surely. Look, Barry Hearn's 70 years old, right? And everyone knows that we're not going to kick an old man. That's why they wheel him out to say these things. Eddie Hearn says that we rip him to shreds. Barry's like, ah, he's old, man. Leave him. Let you know, like when your granddad says some stuff that's just so like 1960s. Like, if, if you've ever been there, like I've been in houses and old, old white granddad's like, yeah, yeah. I had a couple of, I mean, a couple of darky mates. I mean, they'll do that. And, and you almost can't <laughs> get angry. at him. I'm like, for fuck's sake. You can't get angry. And Barry, that's what they're doing with Barry now. Like, it's almost like Barry's now going to give out the bad news and Eddie Hearn's going to give out the good news. So, but let's just unpick all of this BS. Number one, his own words. I don't think Joshua Wilder does 60 million now. They offered AJ $50 million guaranteed yeah, plus half the sense. upside. Yeah. So the question becomes, when has anyone ever taken less money for the same fight? Why would AJ take less money for the same fight? AJ doesn't care where he fights Wilder. I genuinely don't think AJ gives a monkeys where he fights Wilder. And I can imagine him being pissed off that they've basically fucked this fight. But they always had this plan, if you remember. We talked about it on the podcast. It wasn't a coincidence that they mobilized White, Povetkin and Miller. Because they were telling you, they were selling you tomorrow back then. These are the guys AJ's going to fight. They never put Bellew in that mix because Bellew's there to, to go and get money elsewhere. They never did that. So anyone that thought the Wilder fight was going to happen was a fool. It was never going to happen because we said it on this podcast as well. Povetkin had always said he was going to enforce his mandatory and he was going to take it to purse bids. And what that did is it forced Eddie Hearn to say, you can't take this to purse bids. And they said, nah, we've got about 25 mil to play with. We can take it to purse bids. And Hearn was like, I don't think I've got 25 mil to play with. We will pay Povetkin a bit more. Yeah? Keep it off purse bids. We'll give him a better split than we gave Parker. Okay, we're, we're happy now. We'll do the fight in September. It's a strategy to keep Joshua from Wilder. Take Joshua off Showtime. Because had Joshua stayed on Showtime, you can make the fight happen. Because it's the same network for both fighters, right? Now AJ's a zone fighter for less money. Yeah, there's no pay-per-view upside in America now for AJ because DAZN is $9.99, it's a fixed fee. If it doesn't do its subscribers, then either DAZN takes the hit or Matchroom takes the hit. Either way, AJ doesn't make the money. He would if he was a Showtime. So and on what basis can anyone tell me that Joshua's not a slave? Because he doesn't seem to have any career self-determination. I'm confident AJ would love to have a Dylan White rematch, a Derek Chisora fight, a Fury fight, and a Wilder fight in two years and retire. 
and go, I've done it all. Either I won all the belts or I challenged for all the belts, but there's nothing left to do in boxing. I want to retire and I'm going to set up my superior black race commune somewhere. <laughs> do you think he needs to fight Derek Chisora? Listen, that fight's being cooked up. Everyone's just ignored this. But when you're spending money on making Chisora fight Takam or giving him that Takam fight, if he wins that as a common opponent, so that's step number one. There's a common opponent. I dealt with Takam better than Joshua did. Joshua's my little brother. I remember when he was at Finchley and he used to look up to me. I remember when he used to come and train with with Don Charles when he was at Finchley and I used to give him advice. Yeah, but is anyone going to really buy into it? I mean... If, yes! If because it's, won- it's real. No, no, hold on. This It's real. I can't reveal how I know it. If those two fight, it's not for media. It's real. There is a legitimate backstory to those two. That means the fight has meaning for both uh, of them. I, okay, I, now, I, whether Chisora at his age is physically capable of mounting a challenge valid question but in terms of the way that we're selling fights in 2018 where there has to be a credible backstory this ticks all the boxes like Dillian White versus Joshua does yeah see I just I think people at least with Dillian White AJ it's like Dillian White's only ever lost to AJ and he might be able to say I've improved or whatever he wants to say whereas Chisora has lost so many times at this point you're like what make why lost to Vitali lost twice to Lost twice to Fury. Tyson Fury. Lost to Pula. That's good company as far as I'm concerned. Like, if if Joshua can have a defense against Takam, he can definitely have a defense against Chisora. Chisora's got a far better record than Takam. But he lost to White. And then AJ smashed White. Some people say he didn't. Some people will say that, and that's why the rematch hasn't happened. Because it was too close to call. I'm not saying that the Chisora fights what I want to see. What I'm saying is they're building it up as an option. Yeah, well, there's that, I suppose. I mean, like, fucking, I mean, it could be anyone, couldn't it? Frankly, we've matched him at the moment. And that, you wanted to see Wilder. Well, we found Johnny Wilde, a heavyweight look, from the South of America. And he's like, oh, so, no, we don't look, want to see that. So Joshua has two dates next year to fight. He will fight in August and he'll fight again in October. Uh, the next year 2019 2019 you, you, you who can, do you think he's going to fight in April he he will fight the winner well I think I'll rephrase that if Dillian White wins against Parker he will fight Dillian White in April. if Dillian White loses and Derek Chisora wins he will fight Derek Chisora in April oh god and then in October so this time next year basically We've only seen two fights and they've been against Povetkin and White or, or Chisora. Chisora. And then the other <sighs> fight he'll have will be the winner of Pulev against whoever he has to fight, which I imagine will be Huey Fury now. So that will be the next fight that happens in because that will, the IBF will enforce their mandatory. So that's where we are. Wow, the joys of being a heavyweight fan yeah. right now. And and. The Furies will not wave. They will not take step-aside money. They will want to fight Joshua next year. So then the question becomes, quite rightly, when's the Fury fight meant to happen? When's the Wilder fight meant to happen? Fury can just get um, mandated, can't he? Uh, But then you're in a queue. Yeah, you're in a queue and you don't want want that 25% split. So let's turn it around. Right, sorry, 25% split. Can you explain that? So challenger versus champion. 
And that's 25 to 75? Yeah. Right, okay. So let's turn it around and go, if you're Wilder, and what you've effectively said now is, I'm not talking to Joshua until he's serious about making this fight, and he's quite right to do that. What's the first thing you'd do? You'd just say, I'll fight Fury. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll fight sure. Fury. This is the real fight for the undisputed champion. Because neither of us have lost our belts in the ring. Both of us have won our belts against legitimate opponents. That, what that then does, the winner of that now says, but I'm a champion. I, I have better names on my record than you. How the hell are you the A-side now? If Wilder beats Tyson Fury, he's the A-side. If Fury beats Wilder, he's the A-side. And there's no debating that. <laughs> yeah, but they will debate it. People like match, uh, people running Matchroom will say, three belts. Three belts, one belt. They'll no, always no, no. come down to a power no, struggle, won't no, it? Fury will just be honest and go, which of those belts did I lose? None of them. Therefore... On what basis are you trying to do this? I mean, like, I think Fury's hand is strengthened if if he does win the WBC. Don't get me wrong. Then he can go to it as a champion say, I'm a champion in my own right. I lost none of the belts that you have. I deserve a 50-50 split. But also Fury's the white guy in all of this as well. And England is a majority white country. He drives the revenue for this fight against Joshua. Whatever people try and tell you, he drives that revenue. He drives that revenue. Whether Matchroom drive the production values is a different matter, but he will drive the revenue. Do you think that on that basis, do you, you don't think that, uh, yeah, all right, he's white, but he's also a traveller. You don't think that's got... You don't, Mate... If there's going to be a racist well, element in terms of the black guy you, in it... You, you traveller Groves. Do you remember that video clip of Fury walking out the arena the way we came out? were like 300 people around him. They weren't all travellers. They're the guys who will buy the pay-per-view because it's Fury. They're the guys that will go in that stadium because it's Fury. Fury has this country for two reasons. One, we love a comeback story. Two, we're sick of Joshua. We're sick of Matchroom. This is the one guy we are confident will stop this nonsense once and for all. He's the, he's the revenue in this. But does Fury beat Wilder? Possibly. 60-40. Nice one. Ahead of Thursday. 60-40! <laughs> Listen, I know we're taking the piss. Buy another pair of tickets. Come down, man. You're more than welcome. That's didn't, 60- didn't work out who they were, but more than welcome. Yeah, 60-40. 60-40. Yeah. Um, that was an interesting conversation that, um, that I won't repeat on the podcast. Yeah. But- a- anyone acting up, I'm getting Big Donald Smith to come as security. Him and Craig Richards are going to keep everyone in line. I've got a few surprises lined up for the pod as, uh, for the live show as well. Um, should yeah. I hope Craig's coming? I should check. <laughs> okay, right. Um, but wait, no, no. So the one thing I wanted no, to say... No, I'm, not, I'm not wrapping up. I'm no, just no, looking... No, but, but, about, about this whole Joshua thing. They've painted themselves into a corner because... Even before the 50 million offer, they said it was about money. This doesn't generate the money that Anthony Joshua needs to be a billionaire boxer. So then they said, right, there's 50 million plus whatever this generates, right? We're giving you that money. Yeah. This puts you above Canelo as the biggest grossing fighter on the planet. 
Then it was, I don't know, it's not about money. Anthony wants to give this fight back to the fans. Now, I don't know if anyone's, I don't know if anyone's ever been on Joshua's Instagram or Joshua's Snapchat. About 90% of this country is white. You do not see Joshua with any white people. Any. At all. So, what, how are these fans that he cares about? Where is the fan interaction? Where is Joshua engaging with these fans? You don't even see pictures on social media of groups of guys with Joshua. You do with DeGale, you do with Eubank Jr. You see guys who care about the fans. Joshua doesn't care about the fans. So that, that's another lie they fed you. Yeah? And then they were saying some nonsense about, yeah, you know, what was it Joshua said on Tuesday? Yeah, they said 50 million, but I didn't see the 50 million in my bank account. And then I was like, but no, no, that's not how it works, AJ. Like, you can't just spend it today. Like, you have to have the fight before you can spend it. You know, I don't know if Barry and Eddie explained that to you. So it's, prob bizarre. it's probably part of the slave contract. Don't let Joshua get more intelligent so, than he needs to be. So, so fucking bizarre. If like someone said to you, um, yeah, you've uh, won a trip to go into space. You're like, and you tell, you know, you, you tell all your mates and whatever. Months later, did you go into space? Nah. Well, why not? Well, they told me I'd won a trip into space. But when they told me, I wasn't in space. So therefore, that that offer wasn't there wasn't there was no way well on that competition if I didn't, didn't just didn't appear in space. You're like, there's a process you've got to go through, you fucking spastic. And and what irritates me the most is he doesn't even believe that. He just says shit like that. And I, not to sound too much like you and Martin, but somebody who is conducted that interview doesn't then say, what the fuck are you talking about? I don't believe that. You don't believe that. The way you earn that 50 million is by taking the fucking fight. And then after the fight, you'll get your money. I mean, I don't know the complexities of the of it either, but one yeah. presumes that you've got to actually do what you're being paid for yeah. before you get the and, fucking money for and, it. And, and, and let's also touch on, it's, it's a small point, but it's an important point. Anthony Joshua is self-managed. So when people say, why is Deontay Wilder making the offer to Anthony Joshua? It is because according to the British Boxing Board of Control, that's where the offer needs to go, right? If you're self-managed, like Prince Patel is one of my favorite boxers and he won yesterday, so well, congratulations. Well. I know, he loves the hair. So if you make an offer to Anthony Joshua, it has to go to Anthony Joshua because he's his own manager. He makes a decision, yes or no, and he communicates that back. That's how it's, that's how it's supposed to work. So when Wilder says, I approached AJ, that's the right thing to do. So the cornflake crunch is going, he's not supposed to do that. Wrong. So then, you, then here's the question. If the Hearns only promote Anthony Joshua, only promote Anthony Joshua, and there is a fight in the United States that requires no matchroom involvement, it requires no Sky involvement, and it requires no StubHub involvement. Only that Anthony Joshua and his team go to the United States to fight Deontay Wilder. What has this got to do with Eddie Hearn? How can Eddie Hearn say the offer's not good enough? Do you see what I mean? Just on a point of administration, Eddie Hearn has no power to speak on behalf of Joshua because 
Are there any rules set in box? Are there any boxing rules to say that that the promoter can't have a say in things like that? Yeah. Can he? Can he ask Steve on Thursday? You can't. You can only talk to a fighter's manager. You can't even go to the fighter direct. But because Joshua's self-managed, like David Hay is self-managed, you can go to them directly. But what about if there's a the contract that he signed with Eddie Hearn? What about if that says any fight has to go through Eddie? They, they can't. What I'm saying is, is it illegal for him to have a caveat in that contract that says any fight offer has to go through Matchroom or something? But if that was true, you wouldn't make the offer in the first place, right? Well, I mean, presumably she- no, Wilder doesn't know that it's so, his contract. No, no, as ex- Shelley Finkel does. Shelley Finkel did the negotiations for the AJ Klitschko fight. So he will know the parameters that yeah, Joshua but, operates in. But that in. was a fight that Matchroom wanted, wasn't no, it? No, no, no. But you'd still, you'd still know, right? You'd still know. Right. Is this an exclusive agreement? If so, what could trigger an offer? Maybe if we had Hearn and those guys co-promoting, but this wasn't even a co-promotion. It was 50 million for AJ to come over. The so, reason they haven't taken it is because of the threat, isn't it? That's what I don't understand. It's a slave contract they've got Joshua under. That's why, that's why Broner said what he said about I'm not signing to no slave contract. So what, what do you think the contract actually says? So number or, one, I think the contract is with Sky. I think Anthony Joshua's a Sky spy, he's a Sky fighter. I've said it on this podcast before. I imagine James Murdoch's signature's on there. Barney Francis's signature's on there. And at a push, maybe Barry Hearn. I don't think Eddie Hearn's signature's anywhere on that agreement. I think Joshua also has a, a separate agreement with StubHub. That means all decisions have to be ratified by StubHub. Also, all decisions have to be ratified by Sky. I don't think Joshua's master of his own destiny at all. I think See, that might have sounded like a really good idea at first because they might have promised him a lot of money, which seems a lot of the time. But if that is the case, and look, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm sceptical, but I'm not, I wouldn't go as far to say that I wouldn't necessarily believe it. I, you know, I'd, I'd be sceptical of, of something, of giving away that much power, but I'd understand someone being hungry enough to go, I want the money you're promising. So they offer the money, but... The curious thing is then where he must be now thinking to himself, oh my God, I gave up so much power and how do I get it back? But here's my question. How much money does Joshua really see then? Let's just say best case scenario, the Povetkin fight grosses 30 million. All revenue streams accounted for 30 million. Uh... Sky, in all of its incarnations, will take at least half of that. Probably a bit more. Matchroom will take their 20% off the top, not off the amount that's remaining. Arkin Wembley will take their 10-15%. Then you've got to pay the opponent. What's AJ got left? And he's got to cover that massive overhead that's in every fucking picture with him. Not much. Well, so if it's a thir- you say it's thirty million fight. Yeah, it probably is. It's, it's not a massive grossing fight. So fifteen million, you'd say you're saying fifteen million to Sky, mm-hmm. three million to um four well, to Matchroom, twenty uh, percent of the third. That's no, six million. Oh, sorry, six million. Yeah. So now yeah. we're at twenty-one million. You got um, to pay Povetkin five. You got to pay Wembley three. 
Joshua's probably got about five or six mil tops to play with. Then he's got to pay all those guys that are in the picture with him. It just seems a really odd... I mean, his entourage has been said to have been the biggest... I think, I think I'm correct in saying that Steve Bunt said that that's the biggest entourage he's ever seen. Uh, Huge. I mean, it wouldn't strike me as odd that Steve Bunce may be prone to exaggeration from time to time, yeah. but and then, if he has said that and it is that big, then that's going to cost a lot of fucking money. And then McCracken's purse, 10% of whatever Joshua makes. It could, it could even be 10% of the gross. I don't know. But what I'm saying is a lot of people are eating off AJ, which is why you're not going to see the Wilder fight. So when they talk about we're letting it marinate, what they want to be able to do is say, I think we can generate 200 million from this fight. And after we give Joshua 40 million, we're going to split this massive cake between ourselves. And that's going to justify our investment. Do you think they're trying to delay whilst DAZN gets off the floor in America and they could try and get that involved somehow with a Wilder fight? Showtime won't let Wilder go. They understand that that unification fight is their cash cow. They're not letting Wilder go. Wilder, that will not be broadcast on the zone in the United States at all. So who's Wilder's next three fights? Brazil is up next. Reasonable fight. Like, considering you fought Luis Ortiz before, Brazil's a good tick-over fight. I still think he'll fight Fury in 2019. If he beats Fury, just go through your rankings. Find, find someone beatable in your rankings. Fight an Andy Ruiz Jr., for God's sake. Whoever you want. You know, for Wilder, it doesn't matter. People are never going to respect his legacy anyway. So why bother trying to chase the big fights if yeah, they're not Joshua Fury? that, is he? Yeah, he will. You think, oh, no one's going to respect me anyway, so I don't really care. Yeah, that's, this is his, it's his mindset right now. <clears throat> okay, let us move on. Tati Mirbold says... <laughs> <laughs> These sound like the sort of questions that fan would ask us. Yeah, bizarrely, this one sounds almost like a fan that may have some sort of interest in the live show would ask. Yeah, does it rotate that live 122 show you, degrees? That live show you were doing, yes, that's quite right, Tartin. We are actually doing a live show. On we Thursday have, the 26th. We've 26. kept it quiet for the most part, but um, since you've asked the question, that live show you were, uh, that live show you were doing... I booked a ticket and it said it was only £12. Could you please contact www.ticketweb.co.uk and tell them as there's no way such a great show with quality guests could be just £12 per ticket. It's an important observation there, but I'm... Uh, it is incredibly good value. I'm, I'm pleased to tell you, Titan, there's no mistake. It really is only £12 for a ticket. I know people that paid £500 for a Cody Chamberlain. Like five hundred pounds. This will be far more explosive, far more entertaining, and it will be what you want to hear. So, I think there are like seven tickets left. So, listen, scramble, scramble, scramble. Get those tickets. You know, come and enjoy yourself. It's the last time you guys are going to get to see Craig Scott in the flesh for a while. You know, he's he's taking his, I mean, his nineteen seventy seven detective show suit. With him back to Glasgow, you know. <laughs> you evil bastard. Yeah, that suit was shocking. Craig, what are you doing, man? That shit is shite, man. That suit was shite, pal. <laughs> well, that's, that actually sounded like Craig was in the room of us just there, actually. Well, he I'm is. sure he'd be the first to agree. Yeah, he is. He's right here. Um, Have we run out of questions? 
Yeah, well, yeah, but that I as explained before, I don't I don't I farm listen. them. Fuck it, we're here now. Good. Um, um absolute seamless seamless edit point there. And uh, I'm not going to edit, so seeing as this is almost it almost feels like, you know, demod mentality as we this is our last pod now for ooh, quite a while actually. We got into August and whatnot. So I think this is our last pod for quite a while. Wow. So, um, yes, we what are going to touch on White Parker. Now, I had a conversation the other day on Twitter with a guy, and I sort of said... You're tweeting a lot more now, aren't you? I know, I, I know. You're sliding into DMs yet? No, you can't, no. can you? Because of where you are, obviously. No. You can't, you can't bring him back. Uh, <laughs> I don't... Oh shit! Um, the um, I, I, I stand by what I said, right? I said that White has learned. It seems to me that he's learned a bit since he fought AJ, and whilst he hasn't had any sort of planet colliding fights of uh, planet colliding proportion fights, Chisora was pretty. Substantial, but yeah, but he's he's learned he's learned quite a bit. I I and I I feel free to chastise me here, but I don't rate Parker. I thought Huey Fury beat him. I thought he's. I think the the, the biggest asset he's got in his arsenal is being tough. I don't think he's got much else, and I think White will beat him. I honestly do because I just don't rate him, and feel I feel free to uh, like I mean not just Terry. All of you, feel free to take the piss out of me when Parker knocks White out in the third round or whatever, but I just don't rate Parker at all. I think he's bang average. I don't, I've never seen anything come from him. Look, I'm not a historian. I haven't watched all of his fights, but in the fights I have seen him, I've never seen him do anything other than just be a tough nut and just... So, I mean, yeah, that's my... That's that's the the, the, the essence of the conversation I had with someone. All right. The, the, that's the end of the show, guys. Thank you. <laughs> just, just Andy sticking the knife in. I'm um, no. I, I, I was, I was, I was in the gym on Monday, and we we're talking about this. And I said, we will live in a world where Derek Chisora never won a world title, and Joseph Parker did. And Joseph Parker won a world title by beating Andy Ruiz Jr., maybe the fattest middleweight in history. <laughs> the fattest middleweight. <laughs> Just let that sink in. A man who's fought Pule Fury twice, Vitaly Klitschko, was never world champion. And Joseph Parker, who's fought absolutely nobody, apart from Joshua and maybe Takam at a push, has won a belt and will go in the records as being a world champion. Something doesn't sit right with that. And I hope Dillian extinguishes this nuisance that is Joseph Parker. Because for as long as he's a former world champion, he'll have a name. And it's a name he doesn't deserve. He's not that good. He's not that special. He's just a plodding antipodean like the rest of them, you know. Just plod along, be strong, be tough, and try and grind out a win. But this is elite level boxing. It doesn't work that way. I've I'll, I'll go on record as saying this. If you look at who people have beaten to win world titles in the last two years, 
you almost have to argue that if Dillian White hadn't been banned for two years, he'd be a world champion. Because apart from Joshua and Wilder, maybe Fury as well, put him in the mix. Dillian is the equal of everybody else. So he could have beaten Charles Martin. Um, if, if Glasgow had won. Yeah, if Glasgow had won over Charles Martin, he would have beaten him too. He'd have beaten Andy Ruiz Jr. I don't know if he'd have beaten that washed up version of Klitschko. Maybe. We don't know how bad or how good he was. But there are a whole range of people Dillian would have beaten that version of David Hay. There's a whole raft of fighters Dillian could have beaten that have all held world titles. So it's a big what if, but hopefully Dillian can make that right in the next year or so. Um, We're not going to touch any more on that. Uh, we're going to be absolute see you next Tuesdays and say that we're going to do the full Parker White preview. And we will say we'll see you next Thursday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Works just as well. We'll be see you next Thursdays. And uh, I'm going to do the full preview on the live show. So I'm sure that no one listening is going to be such a fan of Parker or White. Ah. I absolutely have to go to hear that preview. But being as it's quarter to eight, we've got no more questions left. And we've already gone almost an hour and a half into this podcast. Then I'm going to turn over any other business to Mr. Chapandama and uh, finish my drink. Is there anything else you want to talk about, Zeri? Uh, congratulations to Mason Smith. He's finally gone pro. Another name that you guys have heard on this podcast numerous times. I'm interested to see how far he goes. Honestly, I understand why he signed with who he signed with because of the Finchley connection. But Mason Smith, I put in the same category, I put someone like a Reese Bellotti, where he's a match from next gen guy for now. And if he fulfills his potential, I mean, you'd put him in a light welter against anyone, really. But he's a class kid great boxer so you small hall guys who love all this stuff look out for mason smith he is super skilled you know one of these guys that's got a hundred plus amateur bouts so you know he should be excited and he likes to stop people you know the other guys who show up and just are just content to look good he will try and stop people so i think that's really really good um always got to shout out my guys at fitzroy lodge mark rygate simon rose the guys who keep me sane in this world of boxing listen like as tough as it is running an amateur club, there's nothing more exciting than you know seeing the next generation come through. So we've got a load of great young kids coming through. Young guy, we're calling him Blonde Fury at the moment. Six foot seven guy. I mean, he's picking up the game so fast. I think in a year's time, you know, he 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 will definitely be ready to spar with the best. Will he be ready to compete? Don't know. But we we love the name now. Blonde Fury suits him. You know. And so, you know, and a lot of people talk about small hall boxing being grassroots boxing. It's not. The amateur shit's grassroots boxing where, you know, time is given up on a voluntary basis. No one's getting paid, but we're still making a product that people love. We're getting all that content out on Instagram. And then, you know, we feed them into the pros. Although, interestingly enough, I think that's going to change in the next five years. So my sense of where we're headed with boxing is, the amateur gyms aren't going to let go of their guys anymore. You're just going to transition from amateur to pro in the same gym with the same trainers because clubs need to find a way of keeping that income going and letting guys go off to other trainers who, to be honest with you, aren't that good. 
doesn't make any sense anymore. So, you know, look out for that uh, final one. Look out for a young kid, Ozzy Omoregi, decent young man. I was with him on Friday, six foot eight, 120 kilos, not an ounce of fat on it. Honestly, Andy, there's no, there's no more terrifying specimen on this. Like planet. Martin, um, slightly less hair than Martin. <laughs> By the way, more like Tartin Meerbold. Well, no, no, more like Tartin Meerbold. Tartin Meerbold. Okay. Yeah. And he is, he's a dangerous prospect. To be fair, of um, what are you looking for a photo of him? Yeah, no, you need to see this guy. Okay. Um. Questions I have for you moving forward are someone, what is the heavyweight? I mean, it's pretty obvious that's that's where my, most of my interest lies. Yeah, yeah. Hashtag King Casual. Um, but One trick pony. Yeah. yeah. I, I would like to know what the heavyweight scene looks like in two years' time. Let's take a trip in Terry's time machine and I'm sitting here in two years' time Mikhail hasn't kicked me out, so that's thankful. Mate, just get her pregnant, mate. Get on with it. <laughs> no. <laughs> that's my own fault for bringing her up. Oh, no, I speak, um, uh, no, honestly, I speak as a friend. Sometimes, you know what? What? No, you know, like, sometimes... It's the worst advice you could ever give to somebody. No, no. Just thought... get her pregnant. Yeah, sometimes you got to, when you've got something good, you just got to lock it down and go, right, just... I'm committed now. <laughs> you just got to lock it down. Yeah, because look, Otherwise, guys will start sniffing and shit. But once she's got that kid, <laughs> they'll leave you alone. You're all good. Uh, um, anyway, back to Terry's time machine, which I should have just stuck to at the first place. What happens? It, what is happening in the heavyweight division in two years' time? Uh, what's happening in that? Philip Hergovich, Tony Yoka, Daniel Dubois making an irresistible case for, you know what I mean, being one of the best heavyweights out there. Who is, who's, the, who's my current WBC champion? Wilder. T- uh, WBA? Wilder. IBF? Wilder. <laughs> WBO? Wilder. But Wilder isn't under Frank Warren's management. That WBO's got to go back there eventually. <laughs> oh, wow. That is a... Uh, Six foot eight. What? Jesus. That's a lot of chickens he's eating. You know when you when someone says they're six foot eight and one hundred twenty six kilos, and you're just like, you know what? <laughs> Some people are just made differently. Yeah, yeah. And I know people be like, oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, he was shooting in his ass. He wasn't like I remember seeing the kid at seventeen, right? And he was that big anyway. So it's just nice. <laughs> yeah. No. Like so so him look- and Tati Mirbal, they're a different breed. Ah, can't compare the two. But for the heavyweight scene, look, I think there will be a unification. And the problem with that is by that point, someone would have exposed weaknesses in Joshua. Maybe Povetkin will show that the left hook is Joshua's weakness. or There'll be something there, maybe body shots. And Wilder will go, right, I'll take five million. I'm going to just knock you out. Take all the belts, fight Fury, see what happens there. But then those young guys are waiting, the Dubois and whatnot are waiting for those belts now. That's what I imagine will happen in a couple of years. Do you time. think? Um, do you think Wilder, as a matter of principle, didn't take the fight under the terms they were giving him? 
Or do you think the terms were never actually given to him at all? I, I think it was just bullshit. I don't think... Matchroom had no intention of making the fight, so they wouldn't make a serious offer. In insurance, they call it a fuck you offer. That's it. It's just like, we'll make an offer so derisory that it's just a fuck you, really. And you should know that. So, but you think eventually they will... I just, I'm so frustrated right now. The revenue, the revenue asking, model, yeah. Let me just sort of like, I apologize to anyone listening who is sick and tired of me asking these questions because, you know, cards on the table. I am so frustrated right now that it's almost um, uh, a venting for me with when, 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 we're, when we're chatting this podcast to Martin or to Terry to ask, to, to give me some hope that something's going to move. I can't stand this. You know, it's like having um, Manchester United and Manchester City. Uh, Manchester City have won the FA Cup and the Premier League and Manchester United have won the League Cup and the Champions League and they can't come to terms who's going to take what if they face off between each other. And everyone would be like, we want to see these, you know, stick whatever team you want in there. You know, Rangers, Celtic, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Liverpool, Shakhtar, Donetsk. I don't care who you stick in there. The, the fact is, you'd want to see them come head to head and for them to be constantly making excuses and for the boxing political landscape to be getting in the way of it all. I just find it so frustrating. And those of you who have been boxing fans for 10, 20, 30 years may find this an all too familiar pattern of history repeating itself. But it's my first experience of of this. And watching, it's not only is it frustrating to watch it happening, but it's just as frustrating to watch people excuse it happening, or it not happening, I should say. So when you have Povetkin mandated to fight Joshua, and we all know, like, you just, I'm, I'm not even a conspiracy theorist, but you, people were like, people would have been on the phone to people running, you know, what is it, Mendoza is running the WBA. It would, it, it will be, they'll be in contact with each other. It won't be like your relationship with the tax man. It's going to be your relationship with your mate that owns a pub. And you say, don't suppose you could stick on an 80s night, could you, at the weekend or in three weeks' time? And he's like, yeah, I suppose I could. No dramas. That's that's that relationship. That's what those relationships are. They're formed in the boardroom with and, and built on money. <laughs> and so when somebody says, look, I really need to get Wilder out of my hair. Can you give me a, Can you mandate me for Povetkin? That's what's going to happen. And I find it so frustrating when ultimately the fans have to have to act as one. Like in any scenario where you're the little guy, the bit the only way for the little guy to have his say is to get is to get on board with a load of other little guys and eventually those little guys can overpower any big guy. And they have to say I'm not going I'm not going to accept this shit. I want to see the best. Look, I know people have a different opinion to me, and that's fine. But I, I, find, I use it as a venting session because I just want to see something change. I was so excited to see AJ fight Parker because it was another belt. Yes, brilliant. Right, now he's going to go for the other belt. And now it just seems to have lost all steam. And But, it, but you, we told you that wasn't going to happen. Parker was an easy fight. Pay Parker five and a half, six mil, take the belt. Wilder's a different kettle of fish because Parker had that fucking cokehead managing him, right? 
So you could, I mean, like, you you could dangle some fucking, I don't know, blue ri- ribbon biscuits, whatever you fucking call those, or or just some fucking rich teas, and he would have just been chomping at the bit to put Parker in with Joshua. So you're dealing with Heyman. How much and cocaine is there in a blue ribbon? Depends how you crush it. <laughs> but so Matchroom know that they're dealing with their superiors when they talk about Heyman and Finkel. They're out of their depth when they deal with these guys. They will pay Wilder a shitload more money than they want to. That is the start and end of it. Because Heyman and Finkel know they can gerrymander. Heyman can gerrymander the IBF to say, let him fight that mandatory next. Yeah, yeah, just call it. As soon as as soon as soon as either Fury or Pulev win, call that mandatory for 90 days. Yeah? Call it. And now Joshua's like, fuck, I will fight Huey Fury. Who wants to watch that? That'll be an 0-2 fight. Now you can't even do these things in Wembley anymore. And then after I'd that... I'd want to watch a Fury... I'd, wanna watch, I'd more want to watch a Huey Fury fight than a Povetkin fight or a... Or a... Yeah. A Jal Miller fight. Yeah, but the problem is, like, when they put Huey Fury on, on YouTube, no one wanted to watch it. Yeah, but... I mean, who was he fighting? I can't remember. Parker. Oh, yeah, it was. No one yeah. wanted to watch that. So, so Huey doesn't yeah, but move Parker units. Parker was a nobody. I mean, Parker yeah. wasn't even a name really at but that yeah. point. So, so you'll do that, and at some point, Frank's gonna have to call in his favors with the WBO to get Tyson Fury ranked in the WBO. So now, all of a sudden, you're defending your belt against people over whom you have no control. That becomes scary because you might not have that belt by the end of those two fights. Now you got to fight Wilder. And now you're going to have to fight Wilder on terms that aren't favorable to you. Wilder's best move at this point, because he has a belt and he has a clearly defined list of opponents that are ranked, is just to sit there and fight his mandatories. That's all. Fight your mandatories and let Joshua stress out about keeping all three belts. Okay, all right. What about this then? Joshua's what, 28? Yeah. John T. Wilder's 32? How long before a heavyweight tops out? Depends on the miles. Wilder, if his hand holds up, he should be all right because I don't think he sustains many injuries. He's he's not a big lump. I, I think Joshua is more the injury risk because he seems to walk around at an unnaturally high weight. So are we not looking at, in two years' time, three years' time, four fucking years' time, whatever that ball bag Barry Hearn was trying to, you know, in like sort of talk about on that podcast. We're not talking like um, Wilder's going to be over the hill and he's not going to be able to defend it in the the best way, <clears throat> the best the way that it, it the the best way to reflect himself. Do you know what I mean? It, he's not going to be able to put his best self in the ring. Is what I'm trying to well, get. Well, he won't, but Joshua won't either because this is a hard career Joshua has. You know, it's not a lot. He won't have a long career. As much as they say, oh, he'll fight till he's 38, he can't. He, no matter how much sports science you have, mate, your body's built for a certain amount of miles and he's rapidly using his up. Okay, do you think it's ever going to happen, Wilder, AJ? I'd give it a 15% chance. 15? So no, then. <laughs> I'd be surprised. <laughs> okay, uh, have you got any any other business? Listen, Thursday, guys. You really want to hear the rest of this? Just show up on Thursday. Yeah, well, I mean, I won't be talking about the things I've talked about in this. I promise. I won't be going on a 
a rant about AJ. Yeah. You guys just want to see me unhinged, showing no respect to my seat. Show up on Thursday. That's true. I mean, you give your seat plenty of rest. Let's put it that way. Uh, it's the right thing to do. All right, that's enough. Uh, thank you very much for listening. We will... I'm not going to write anything you. in stone. But those of you that will see you on Thursday, thank you very, very much. And all those people that have already purchased tickets, I want to say a massive thank you. And we'll say it again on Thursday for supporting us in doing it. Um, look, I know people like aren't particularly interested in a lot of these things, but it's not something we make money out of. Frankly, it's going to cost us money again to do it. The bigger the venue, the more the cost, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not, it's not, we do it because we enjoy it so much. Last one was a bit of a gamble, you know, paid off. It still costs us money, but it paid off in as much as it was a welcome addition to the community that this podcast and the website has spawned. So we've chosen to do it again. And we want to do it again moving forward. Um, and the more success that we have from these ventures, the more encouraged we'll feel to do to do them. So for those of you that have purchased tickets and supported us, a massive, massive thank you, a thousand thank yous. We could never have believed the level of support and the level of interest that has been generated from the podcast and the website when it first spawned, what, three years ago, something like that? So, yeah. I can't, I can't thank you enough. And I'm sure if Martin were here, he would thank you. And I'm sure he will on Thursday. Um, a thank you to the, all those of you that are listening that will be participating with us on the podcast, um, the live show. And I guess all that's left to say is, um, yeah, if you don't have a ticket, come and get one. Come and meet us. Say hello. And everyone's meeting at the old blue last five o'clock. I think that's what Craig said. What was that? Sorry, the, the pub is the old blue last. It's owned by okay. the guys that own Vice magazine, so it's like their it's their pub. So it's normally quite an interesting place to be. You might end up in a documentary. Um, the show will last. The show is scheduled to end at ten p.m. It might tail on for a little bit longer, but the old blue last, I believe, is open till about one a.m. So there'll be time for after drinks. L- look at how many people are traveling for this. Bristol, back of beyond in Wales. Milton Keynes, Bedford, Luton, Essex, everyone. Scotland. Shit. And other people are traveling back to Scotland afterwards. People are making the sacrifice to come down. And I'm really grateful for that. So if you're there, umming and ahhing, look, these guys didn't um and these guys didn't ah. So get involved. Um, And yeah, I guess that's it really. Well, I'm not going to set anything in stone as to... um. But uh, in in terms of absolutes, but I think this is going to be our last podcast before, well, before September. I think. I mean, I, I August is pretty much a write off for me anyway. I'm going to be away three weekends out of the four. So stag do you just off on holiday? Uh, I'm on. I'm away for Michaela's birthday with Michaela. We're off to. Uh, we're off to uh, Kent. I'm going to keep it as vague as possible. <laughs> Kate, uh, yeah. we're going for it to a, um, we've got an Airbnb, beachside residence. Broadstairs, Margate. Yeah, that's it, Margate, yeah. Yeah, fuck off. <laughs> See you there. Bat- <laughs> Battle, Hastings. No, 
I'm not going to tell you where it is. I'm certainly not going to tell you on the podcast. Oh, well, 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 I'm t- I'll show up anyway. You know that, right? <laughs> yeah. Just, to, just appear out of like Homer Simpson through the bushes or somewhere. Um, mate, just show up with a box of jerks and go, seeing as you're tired, mate. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> There's a window into what Terry's willing to say. Um, then I'm away in France. Doing what? Stag do? No. Um, your birthday? <laughs> no, if, uh, we're just away on holiday. Nice. South? Uh, yes, Nice. Good well, I choice. I it's very nice. Mm. No, no, make, make sure you do... Well, to be honest, I'd have probably done the drive from Marseille all the way across to Toulon. <laughs> right. Just just putting it out there. So really, especially when the weather's like this, is fucking awesome. Because you, you get the whole contrast. So you get that kind what, so you of... Get a, what, you get a ferry to Marseille or something? Where's, where is Marseille? Wait, can't you just fucking fly to Marseille? You're flying to Nice, right? Yeah. Just fly to Marseille, pick your car up there, have a little drive down through Martigues, all the way down to Nice and all the way across well, the Well, I don't know. We've got a, something like an hour's drive from the airport once we're in Nice. So we have you're got probably, a so You're probably landing in, in, probably in Marseille anyway. <laughs> um, and then I'm going to a wedding. So that's should, local though, yeah. So yeah, uh, uh, but it's like it's an Indian wedding, so it's like it's gonna take part over like three days or something. Have you got your kurta? Ah, uh, oh, I saw you. Was that an Indian wedding? You was that? Yeah. Ah, oh, I don't have one of those. No, mate, you got to. I don't know them though. Oh, mate, do you know how how much cooler you are? Like, really? like you don't because you know because I changed outfits three times that day, so I went from wedding suit to kurta and then into kind of casual in the evening, and. Mate, that the suit was boiling, fucking boiling. It was like thirty degrees, and it was boiling. But no, no, no bridesmaid action. Strange. Oh, yeah. what? Yeah. Even in the kurta. I mean, ten pegged up in all sorts. What do they call the um, specific dance, the genre of dance? I mean, I don't know. That? Did you do that? No, I didn't. Like using a Bollywood film? No, I had to give a speech and shit. And See, it actually, seems like actually, your relationship with these people is far greater than mine is. Than the people well, yeah. I know them through Michaela, so I'm going as a. Nah. I am a plus one. Yeah, but no, no. AOB, big shout out to Chris Louis. Like we were co-best men, and he did ninety percent of the heavy lifting. I just basically drank whiskey and made a speech. That was kind of my role. Not Italian brandy. No, no, no. It's Johnny Walker. I can't remember if it was blue or black. What are you going to be drinking at the live show? Uh, I'm going to put that out to Twitter. What should I drink? Bear in mind, I don't drink beer and I don't drink wine. So Cider? You yeah, drink- so, so, it depends, man. It'll fuck me up. Are sometimes. we talking hard liquor? Is that what you're... Uh, spirits work better for me. I'm, I'm, yeah. So feel free... So to- suggestions. If anyone, a- anyone so feel owns... feel free to suggest elderflower yeah. gin. <laughs> it's elderflower tonic, you donut. Yeah, but I'm sure there's got to be some gin that's flavoured with elderflower. Well, there's pink gin, which is disgusting. Just yeah, like yeah. yeah. So you know you need to be suggesting people. No. And if anyone owns a shop that sells alcohol, I know Kenza owns a shop that sells ice cream, but I don't want ice cream. Anyone that sell, owns a shop that sells alcohol, yeah, feel free to sponsor me. Get fucked up. <laughs> Get fucked up with Terry Chapman. Get Dunn. fucked up. Um, so yeah, uh, the long and short of the start of this conversation was realistically this is possibly the last podcast we have until september that'll do uh i guess we'll see you on thursday those of you who don't see on thursday um if you can't make it because of commitments then it's a shame and we wish you were there never mind and i hope you enjoy it and if you're not coming 
because you don't want to come, then you're miserable. See you next Thursday. Ah. <laughs>If you're still listening, then here's a little treat for you. Literally just as I ended the pod, Terry says, oh no, wait, wait, wait. We have to go back on. So, okay, Terry, take it away. What was so, so immediate? Stop the press. So, so this time of year, if you're anywhere in the region of Marbella, Tenerife or Ibiza, you are literally tripping over boxes because it's the close season, amateur and pro. So there are a lot of guys out in Ibiza now. You know, a lot of the Brits who are over there as enforcers and whatnot are ex-boxers, ex-MMA guys, ex-gym rats, basically. So everyone kind of knows each other. So it's a, it's a great place where you get looked after. But one of the challenges you have is there's often nefarious behavior that happens there. So there are allegations that Two of the Upton brothers, um, let me choose my name names carefully. So it's Paulie and Sonny Upton, who were trained by Ricky Hatton originally, have been both been accused of rape in Ibiza. Jesus. Yeah, so I think it's it's an alleged gang rape of a woman. Uh, you know, normal Ibiza thing. Well, not normal, but you know, go out, end up at Lineker's, apparently pills were put in her drink she ended up in an apartment that wasn't hers and she was held down while forced to have sex these are the allegations these are not fact or well these are not proven i should say so i think the uptons are in london now with barry smith and harry andrews boxing out at the west ham club with their brother anthony lupton i think it was anthony who boxed on the last next gen show so if you remember that show you know how raucous the the upton clan are but yeah, so it was just a quick one just to say, you know, we come on here and we talk about boxers and in a way we deify them and we talk about them as if, you know, they're sort of superhuman and so forth. But this is a reminder that they're no more superior than you and I and are, both, are always subject to the confines of the law. Uh, if you can get hold of the article, get hold of the article. It doesn't leave a great taste in the mouth for the sport of boxing. And it's it's a reminder that, look, with great responsibility, oh, sorry, with great status comes great responsibility. And these guys really need to pull their finger. You know, just boxing in general needs to pull his finger out because in terms of allegations, it's not the first time I've heard stuff said about boxers. I think this is probably the first time guys have been arrested. And from what I gather, I think they're still being held now. They're not being allowed to leave the island at the moment. So it's a story that I'm sure will grow arms and legs and will be discussed in the boxing community. But it's a warning to you guys about whether, you know what I mean, you're boxers, pro or amateur, you've got to behave yourself out there. You've got to be whiter than white because I don't imagine if these allegations are true that we will see Paulie and Sonny Upton boxing at any high level again. Okay. Enough said, I guess. Yeah. I'm gonna get it up, I'm gonna get it up, I'm gonna get it up.